Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation, news, and commentary. I'm entertainer writer Jim Hill, and Mr. Taylor, whose writings on the industry you can regularly read over on The Wrap, and whose musings on the Mission Impossible movies you can listen to on the Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast, I am recording this week's show on Sunday, October 29th. Now, Drew isn't here right now. This past weekend, Mr. Taylor was busy, well, uh, covering as well as participating in the 5th Annual Lightbox Expo, uh, which I'm reading now from their official website, celebrates the artists and creators behind our favorite films, animation, games, TV shows, and illustrations. And this event was held at the Pasadena Convention Center from October 27th through the 29th. And as I'm recording this, Drew is wrapping up three days of incredibly hard work on side. But on the second half of today's show, Mr. Taylor will blip in for a few minutes and briefly talk about everything he saw and learned about at this year's Lightbox Expo. Also on the second half of today's show, I'll share the history of the first ever animated Halloween special for network television. But before that comes the news. And as always, the news portion of today's show is brought to you by Turing Plan's own travel agency, if you're thinking about heading down to Walt Disney World in the not-so-distant future, well, these obviously knowledgeable folks can help you plan your dream vacation. They'll even toss in a free subscription to Turing Plans. So if you're planning on visiting Central Florida anytime soon, please check them out at turingplans.com backslash travel. Okay, sorry that we have to start off with a bit of sad news, and, and no, I'm not talking about Matthew Perry, So, though that was plenty sad. I loved Matthew's work, well, well not so much on Friends, I never quite on, got on board with that sitcom, but I really was a fan of Perry's short-lived follow-up series, uh, Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip that aired for one season on NBC in, in 2006, and then Mr. Sunshine, uh, which aired on ABC, I want to say 2011. Anyway, what I'm talking about is Richard Mall, the beloved character actor who played Bull the Bailiff on the original version of Night Court. He died this past Thursday, October 26th, at the age of 80. Now, Animation fans know Mr. Mole for his masterful vocal performances Harvey Dent and Two-Face on Batman the Animated Series. Likewise, he put in a really wonderful vocal performance as Scorpion on Spider-Man the Animated Series in, in the 1990s. And it's just tough to lose two guys who provided so much enjoyment and laughter to television viewers in the same short window of time, which is why Mr. Taylor and I wish to offer our sincere condolences to the friends and family of both Mr. Perry and Mr. Mole during this obviously sad time. And speaking of difficult times, it is now the 108th day of the actor's strike. Though this past weekend, Deadline reported that representatives involved in negotiations between SAG-AFTRA and the AMPTP uh, we're expressing optimism that a deal to end this protracted labor action may be in the offing. Nobody wanted to go on the record to talk about exactly how close these two may be to a new agreement, uh, just in case this deal were to suddenly fall apart. But as Deadline shared, a senior studio official revealed 
to them that current negotiations seem to be entering the final stretch. That said, because first the writer's strike and then the actor's strike dragged on for so long, the studios are now legitimately scrambling to come up with a product that they can then hand off to exhibitors to screen as we head into 2024 and beyond. Case in point, The Day the Earth Blew Up a Looney Tunes Movie. Now, two years ago, in September of 2001, news broke that a film based on the Looney Tunes cartoon series, one that was supposed to star Daffy Duck and Porky Pig, was, was in development over at Warner Brothers Animation. Now, Kevin Costello, who wrote that Tom and Jerry movie that Warner Brothers released back in February of that same year, 2021, was hired to write the screenplay for, again, a project that starred Porky and Daffy, and... Around the time that the, the 2022 edition of Comic-Con International rolled around, we finally found out what the name of this project was. And again, the, it's the day the Earth blew up a Looney Tunes movie. We even got to see a brief clip from this Peter Browngart movie. By the way, Browngart is the creator of Cartoon Network's Uncle Grandpa show. We got that clip, I want to say, September of 2022, so a month or so after Comic-Con. It shows Daffy and Porky in pencil test rough animation form, trying to get their dilapidated house up to snuff out ahead of an inspection by the Homeowners Association in their neighborhood. And the animation style used here is very much in the Bob Clampett style. And I want to say... It was Bob Clampett who liked to use Daffy and Porky as a team. The original plan for The Day the Earth Blew Up, a Looney Tunes movie, was that this film was supposed to be streamed on HBO Max and air as part of an Acme Night programming block over on Cartoon Network. But once David Zaslav became CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery, the path ahead for the day the Earth blew up a Looney Tunes movie became murky. August of last year, it was reported this Pete Browngard movie would no longer stream on HBO Max or on Cartoon Network, but rather would be shopped around to other streaming services. And, and then, in the wake of the writer's strike and the actor's strike, it was decided that this previously homeless animated feature would now be sent out into theaters for the second quarter of 2024 with the full promotional might of Warner Brothers' discovery behind it. And that, in a nutshell, folks, is pretty much how the entertainment world has changed over the past few months with so little product in the pipeline. Suitors are making all sorts of hard decisions like this, and... Which, which brings us to what Disney just decided to do with Elio, which was supposed to be one of two animated features that Pixar was supposed to send out into theaters next year, as well as what's going on now with the live-action version of Snow White. Now, back in September of 2022, at that year's D23 Expo, it was announced that Pixar would be releasing Elio to theaters in March of 2024, which would then be followed by Inside Out 2, which would debut at your local multiplex June 14th of that same year, 2024. So that's, that was two Pixar movies coming out basically within 90 days of one another. Now, what I've been told by friends up in Emeryville is that Elio, while it has had a 
somewhat troubled production. That has had nothing to do with the story, but rather budget. This is the project that Disney reportedly has really been hassling Pixar about when it comes to keeping production costs down, which has led to some pretty spectacular blow-ups between Burbank and Amryville. That said, Elio is a return to classic Pixar. We are talking Toy Story, Monsters, Inc., up-level storytelling, lots of humor, lots of heart, supposedly a great film. The corporate thinking at Disney reportedly was, and, and is, if we put Elio and Inside Out out in theaters within three months of one another, during a time when we have so little product headed into the pipeline, one of these Pixar films is going to wind up cannibalizing the box office potential of the other. And given that Disney's stock price currently sits at $79.33 a share, which was within a dollar of the stock's 52-week low of $78.73. Look, not a penny can be wasted at this point. So the corporate thinking at Disney, we're going to send inside out, keep it in the June date. We're going to give it as wide a berth as possible during the summer of 2024 kind of learning the lesson of what happened this past summer with Elemental. And then the thinking is do the exact same thing in the summer of 2025. Give Elio as wide a berth as possible at the summer box office to earn as much, if not more, than Pixar's Inside Out sequel. By the way, both of these Pixar films will be supported by a full retail program, also, wall-to-wall promotion, everything that Disney can do to ensure that these two are huge successes at the box office. As for the other film that Disney just delayed, its live-action version of Snow White, which has now been pushed back to March of 2025. I know there are a lot of folks out there who are upset about some of the things that Rachel Zegler, who plays the title role in this film, has said in the recent past. And I get how some Disney fans, when they heard that the dwarves in Disney's live-action remake of Snow White weren't going to be dwarves anymore, but rather magical creatures, these same folks felt that the Disney company was turning its back on the studio's original Snow White from 1937, the animated classic that, as Disney declared back in 1987 for the 50th anniversary of the film, This was the one that started it all, that the company was being too politically correct. So, just this past week, as part of this announcement, we got our first look at this Mark Webb movie. Webb, by the way, directed The Amazing Spider-Man in 2012 and its sequel in 2014. And this photo shows Zegler as Snow White surrounded... I guess they could still be magical creatures... To my eyes, they look like CG dwarves who look an awful lot like the characters from Disney's hand-drawn version of the same story from 1937. And we now have a log line for the version of Disney's Snow White that will be released to theaters in March of 2025, which states that this movie invites audiences back into the magical world of Snow White with beloved songs and recognizable characters. And 
Please note that phrase, recognizable characters, because when I look closely at this first look image, the diminutive characters that are standing around Snow White, I can pretty easily pick out Doc, Dopey, Happy, and Grumpy. Sneezy, I'm betting, is the, the smallish guy with the largest nose. As for Bashful and Sleepy, I, I, to be honest, I'm not sure. But are these figures standing around Snow White steel dwarves or magical creatures? I mean, what does the phrase recognizable characters mean? I'm hoping that Drew knows. Speaking of which, when we get back from this break, Mr. Taylor, again through the magic of editing, will join us straight from the 2023 edition of Lightbox Expo. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Before we get to Drew, I I wanted to share this bit of info that someone at Disney uh, Animation Studios just lobbed in over the transom. If you want to see Disney's new full-length animated feature, Wish, early, like the Saturday before it officially opens in theaters on November 22nd, so we're talking Saturday, November 18th, the studio is presenting Wish in 750 theaters around the country on that day. Mind you, it's just for one screening, and that screening is at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. But otherwise, you can see Wish early, which would be kind of cool. And speaking of someone who is very cool and also very busy, Mr. Drew Taylor has spent the last three days at the Pasadena Convention Center, where he has not only been covering the 5th Annual Lightbox Expo, he's also been participating in the event. Paneling, am I right? Yes, well, I hosted a wonderful panel uh, about Netflix's Leo, the upcoming animated feature, um, which was a ton of fun. Yeah, we talked a little bit about that on uh, previous fine-tuning. That's the one that's coming out November 21st on Netflix. This is the Adam Sandler thing about the, what, 70-year-old lizard in the fifth grade class? Yes, but I thought that the trailer for this looked great. So what did you learn emptying the panel? Well, I mean, the movie is great. I can I can say that. It's really fun. It's it's really heartfelt. And the animation by Animal Logic is really great. And so it was Robert uh, Marianetti and David Wachtenheim, who are mm-hmm. two of the three directors. Robert Smigel is the third director, but is a member of SAG, so he was not there. Oh, there we go. Yeah, well, but and then the animation supervisor, Jason, mm-hmm. was also there, and he was mm-hmm. a longtime Disney guy, so we kind of caught up about that. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it, it was really interesting because the story started out as kind of just about kids in this classroom, and mm-hmm. then at the end of the movie, you found out that the narrator was a snake in mm-hmm. the back of the class, you know, in the terrarium. And then mm-hmm. they all kind of said, like, well, what if it was from the point of view of the lizard and this turtle as well? Mm-hmm. And Robert and David are really luminaries in terms of, like, independent animation. They started their own company. They did the Saturday morning funhouse bits on SNL with Smigel, And they also – they met – 
at Beavis and Butthead's first season, Jim. That's how long ago <laughs> they have been partners. Yeah. Cow. Yeah. All right. That's actually dating them. Yes. <laughs> did they work on Frog Baseball or, or the series? <laughs> they worked on – one of them was working on the interstitial stuff and the other one was the main show. Yeah. And um, – yeah, so we just talked about you know where this idea came from, and you know working with Adam Sandler, they said he was really into the movie and really into the process, and um, you know where they got this amazing cast, and yeah, the movie is really special. We ran a, a few clips that people seem to really enjoy. One of them is a song that Smigel wrote because mm-hmm. obviously the man who wrote the Triumph the Comic Dog. Uh, musical album now has songs in, in Leo. But what, what's interesting, Jim, and what I think listeners of this show will be interested in is that David mm. and Robert worked on Hotel Transylvania 2. And as we all know, that was a very contentious entry yeah. in the franchise between Sandler and and Gendy. And they yeah. were sort of there to bridge the gap, you know, kind mm-hmm. of keep the communicate lines of communication open and everything. So that was that was the last uh yeah, Sandler project they worked on. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. This was your first time at Lightbox, right? I mean, uh, first year. Have you ever been before, Jim? I have not. In fact, you know, again, you know, when I looked at who was attending and the fact that this is the fifth year, it's like, man, I got to get out there to to catch this. And yeah, well, especially uh, tell folks what you missed. You know, for example, the Chris Sanders at the lunch. Yes. Well, you know, I. I after the panel wrapped, I went to the show floor and walked around a little bit. You know, I ran into to folks from Sony Pictures Animation. Um, mm-hmm. They had a big booth because you know Lightbox is a recruiting thing as well. So if you really want to feel old, Jim, walk around mm-hmm. a bunch of prospective <laughs> high school and college students at a convention. It'll it'll, oh. it'll make you feel like a seventy five year old lizard. Let me tell you. I remember going to these sorts of events when people carried physical portfolios. Yeah. And now, no, they do not do that anymore. No, a lot of iPads. Um, there we go. But, Lots yeah. Of okay. <laughs> but I, anyway, one of the things I wanted really badly mm-hmm. was this uh, Chris Sanders had written and designed a making of book about the making of Lilo and Stitch, which is amazing. <sighs> and I don't know how he got approvals to do it. Maybe it's just because he was selling it at Lightbox and, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. didn't create any waves but so i was really excited i walk over to the booth and it's he's gone to lunch jim he's gone to lunch he wrote a little sign that said be back mm-hmm. soon it had a little doodle of stitch on it and uh, i was heartbroken that i saw him walking around with his wife mm-hmm. the the show floor a little bit later but i ran into crash mccreary who if our listeners know is one of the great kind of creature designers he did all of the designs for Rango, and he did Jurassic Park and a million other things. And he's been working on the Universal Monsters, he said, for the past few years, which is very exciting. And I wonder if it has any bearing on a little project called Epic Universe. I don't know. I already talked about this on the news portion of the show, but I really want your take on the Disney news that broke, you know, I want to say Thursday or Friday of this week, where... Elio uh, wound up getting pushed off to June of 2025, and the Snow White live action got pushed to March of of that year as well, 2025, and and we we got our first look at this with I would not say those are magical characters. I would say those are dwarves, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because I 
I wrote about the magical creatures thing, which was on <laughs> casting sheets and stuff. I don't know when the the pivot to actual dwarves was, but yeah. I don't know why they would put that image out. To me, it mm-hmm. was like just announce the release date change. That mm-hmm. image was nightmarish. And my, what was interesting to me was the log line, which included the, you know, what was it, uh, memorable songs and recognizable characters. I mean, the whole notion of it seemed like it was written to sort of quell the whole Disney's being woke or politically correct or whatever with Snow White. And I look at that those images and or that image, and I can pick out four dwarves without even breaking a sweat. I can do yeah. Yeah. dark, happy, dopey, grumpy. But but yeah, I mean, so have had you heard anything about? Because this is a this is a pivot. It is a pivot. I don't know what's going on with Snow White. I imagine it has to do with the blowback that Rachel Ziegler has been getting online for comments about Disney, but. The internet is not really good at forgetting, so I'm not really sure if the year is going to really provide that much buffer, especially because the movie is definitely finished. I mean, they shot it so long ago. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. With Elio, Mm -hmm. this is not going to be the last news about Elio, I will say. Um, I've heard it's hit some some troubled waters, and uh, I'm sure we'll be talking about it soon, but yeah. Well, that's kind of intriguing because I I had heard people were kind of high, at least initially on Elio, that it was sort of a return to classic Pixar. So, uh, yeah, I told him that uh, that was not what I had heard when he said that to me. Okay, um, okay. So, right. yeah, yeah, it's it, it's going through some some as David Bowie would say, ch 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 changes. So Ooh, this is not okay. this is not uh, SAG related. This is mm-hmm. creative. Um, kind of oh i'm so sorry to hear that yeah okay. yeah so next summer i'm sure it'll be worth the wait but you know you know All these right. things happen before we go and again I, I know you're busy you gotta go but i wanted to, to show you look i got my copy of uh opposable thumbs uh matt singer's book about oh, uh good. Siskel. and you got your wish your art of wish book and i had i didn't get mine yet well, talk to the nice people at Chronicle. I will. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, folks, you know, uh, promise, you know, next week, you know, again, provided Drew doesn't once again be the busiest guy in show business, he'll be back for the full show. But, but again, thank you, you know, for, for dropping in as much and, and go get a nap. Okay. Well, yeah. So. And if anybody is in LA and they're going to, there's an elemental screening on Wednesday, November 1st, which is the day after this posts, I'm hosting the Q&A. With Ooh. Pete and mm-hmm. Thomas Newman and uh, a couple of other people. So it'll be really fun anyway. So if you see me, say hello, as I always suggest. Um, yeah. <laughs> Very cool. All right. Well, well thanks again. And we'll, we'll see you soon. Thanks so much to Mr. Taylor for taking out the time to report in about this year's Lightbox Expo. But then I look at the calendar and I realize that on the day this podcast goes live, which is October 31st, 2023, All Hallows' Eve, Halloween. And given that that day is when this show is getting posted, and given that fine-tuning is, after all, an animation news podcast, I thought it might be fun on today's show to take a look back at the very first animated Halloween special. Now, mind you, there's been animation tied to Halloween on television 
prior to this TV special. Uh, the first instance that I can find was back in October of 1955 when this is when on an episode of the Disneyland TV show just prior to Halloween. Uh, this aired on ABC Wednesday, October 26th. Walt himself introduced The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. This was that portion of the adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad, which uh, Walt Disney Productions had originally released at theaters some six years earlier, on October of 1949 to be exact. And that part of this animated film was based on a short story that Washington Irving had written back in 1820. and that was pretty much what the late 1950s, early 1960s was like. You'd get your occasional Halloween-themed episode of a TV show that, that had been on the air for a while and, to be honest, was, was now looking at holidays, a possible thing to theme new episodes around. The Woody Woodpecker Show did this in October of 64. They were 49 episodes into that animated series 113-episode run at that point, and Walter Lance decided it was time to do a Halloween-themed show. That episode was entitled Spook a Nanny, and, by the way, featured four ghosts who had mop-top haircuts and sang yeah, 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 which I'm guessing was Walter's way of, of making a joke at the expense of the Beatles. And just so you know, the Beatles had arrived in America just a few months earlier, February of 64, so... This was kind of the animated equivalent of making a right-up-to-the-moment pop culture reference. By the way, same thing happened with the Flintstones that season. This animated series had been in primetime on ABC for four full seasons at that point. And to be honest, by the fall of 64, Hanna-Barbera's writers were running out of story ideas when it came to what they could do next with, with Fred and Barney. So when the spring of that same year... It was revealed that for the, the upcoming fall television series, not one, but two TV shows were going to feature ooky spooky families. We're talking about The Addams Family on ABC and The Munsters on CBS. Both of those shows would hit the airways in September of 64. Well, you know, the writers of The Flintstone read the trades and immediately thought, well, you know, for the season five of this animated series. The Flintstones of the Rebels are going to get some scary-looking neighbors. And the Flintstones first aired a Halloween-specific episode. uh, It was entitled The Haunted House is Not a Home on October 29th of 1964. That was when, surprise, surprise, Fred and Barney spent the night in a haunted house. But it was two weeks later, November 12th of that same year, that this same animated series introduced the Gruesomes, who kind of looked like Gomez and Morticia's caveman ancestors. But again, these are just individual episodes of animated TV series that ran Halloween-themed episodes, not actual Halloween TV specials. The very first animated Christmas special produced for television, Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol, debuted uh, some two years earlier on NBC, uh, December 18, 1962. But it wasn't until Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer entered on that same network December 6, 1964, and racked up a huge rating that CBS kind of looked over and decided, you know, we need to get in the animated holiday special business too. So they join forces with Coca-Cola and they throw all sorts of money at Charles M. Schultz, the creator of the Peanuts comic strip. 
Which is why after six months of frantic production, A Charlie Brown Christmas is ready to air on CBS December 9, 1965. Gets even bigger ratings than Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Not only that, but this animated holiday special also manages to take home that year's Emmy Award for Outstanding Children's Program. And this heady mixture of professional acclaim and high ratings is what prompted CBS executives to quickly put in an order with both Charles Schultz and, and Bill Melendez, that, that, you know, who did uh, the animation on this thing, for four more animated primetime specials. And the first of these, Charlie Brown's All-Stars, debuts just six months after the fir- very first airing of A Charlie Brown Christmas, in June 8th, 1966. And then just four months after that comes It's a Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. And that's the first ever animated Halloween special. Debuts on CBS October 27th, 1966. And this racks up an enormous rating as well, which is why the the folks at CBS eventually went to Charles M. Schultz and said, can we please get a new holiday-themed peanut special from you every year? And for a time, that's actually what happened. November of 1973, CBS airs a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. Some six months later, CBS airs It's the Easter Beagle Charlie Brown in April of 1974. Nine months after that, it's Be My Valentine Charlie Brown, debuting on the the Tiffany Network. And then finally, when It's Arbor Day Charlie Brown debuts on CBS in March of 1976 and gets crushed in the ratings. It it aired next to uh, Happy Days on on ABC. That's when some executive at CBS finally said, eh, maybe we better cool it with these holiday-themed peanut specials. By the way, just in case you're wondering, It's Arbor Day, Charlie Brown, was the 15th to be produced for a primetime animated peanut special. And to date, there have been 50 of these things. With the most recent one, Snoopy Presents One of a Kind Marcy, debuting on Apple Plus TV back in August of this year, and with the 51st animated peanut special, tentatively titled Snoopy Presents Welcome Home Franklin, due out on that subscription streaming service sometime next year. By the way, this pattern, a successful animated Christmas special, eventually leading to a Halloween-themed animated special, featuring the same character, uh, repeated itself several times in the 1960s and 1970s. Take, for example, December 19, 1966, we got How the Grinch Stole Christmas, debuts on CBS. It's eventually followed by a prequel to that beloved holiday special, Halloween is Grinch Night, which debuts on that same network in October of 77. Later on that same year, Fat Albert's Christmas Special, again, airs on CBS. December 18th, 1977, does well enough in the ratings that 10 months later, we get the Fat Albert Halloween Special, airs on CBS. Uh, And again, speaking of CBS, that same television network ran Raggedy Ann and Andy in the Great Santa Claus Caper, November of 78. This animated holiday special does well enough that 11 months later, we get Raggedy Ann in the Pumpkin That Couldn't Smile, which debuts Halloween night, 
1979, 44 years to the day that this podcast goes live. By the way, those last two holiday specials were written, produced, and directed by animation legend Chuck Jones, which makes them worth going out of your way to see. Though, if I'm also being completely honest here, I should mention that these two animated Raggedy Ann and Andy specials were produced during an especially tough stretch in Chuck Jones's career. He had lost his, his wife of 46 years, Dorothy, uh, in February of 78, and when you watch these two holiday specials, you just you just kind of get the sense that Jones's heart really wasn't in either of these projects. They're, they're lesser works by a genuine animation master, who, by the way, Nancy and I actually got to meet up here in New Hampshire at the uh, McDowell Colony in August of 97. John Canemaker, a, a brilliant writer who's written some of the very best animation history books in the past 30 or plus years, was kind enough at the ceremony. Uh, Chuck was being awarded a McDowell uh, medal. He introduced us to Chuck, who was then kind enough to sign Nancy's copy of of his memoir, Chuckamuck, The Life and Times of an Animated Cartoonist. That's a great book, by the way, folks. And if you're looking for something special to get for someone, uh, the animation fan on your Christmas list this year, you can pick up a paperback for Chuckamuck for as little as $19 over at Amazon. You know, well worth chasing down a copy. And speaking of things that are well worth going out of your way for, Drew Taylor and his partner, Charles Hood, are the talented guys behind Light the Fuse, the Mission Impossible podcast. And again, I, I keep reminding you that this show goes live on Tuesday, October 31st, which is the exact same day that the Blu-ray of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 hits store shelves. And um, uh, Drew and Charles have been sharing some great stories from the Charles uh, Christopher McQuarrie film over on their podcast. And uh, speaking of podcasts that share interesting stories, we, we have a few of them here at Jim Hill Media. Those include Disney Dish, which I do with Len Testa, Marvelous Disney. That's the one I do with Aaron Adams, the talented gentleman who edits this podcast. By the way, uh, Aaron has his own outside podcast worth checking out. It's called 32nd Street, and it shines a spotlight on Madison Avenue, so give that a listen. Likewise, uh, we have Looking at Lucasfilm, which I do with Brian Gaughan. Also want to remind you that episode two of Leonard Mai's newest project, Disney Unpacked, our first ever video series, uh, the one we've been working on for the past two years with veteran Imagineer Jim Shul. We've got a brand new episode dropping on Sunday, November 5th. This episode is about Crush's Coaster at Walt Disney Studios Park in Paris, which was and still is the very first spinning coaster at a Disney park. So please check that show out. Let's see, beyond that, Drew, you can find him on X, Twitter, uh, you know, as Drew Tailored, as in a tailored suit. You can also find me on X, Twitter, and Instagram as Jim Hill Media, and on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. If I could get you to head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review, well, not just the show you're listening to right now, fine-tuning, but if you also want to put in a word, a good word for 32nd Street, or for that matter, Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast, that would be nice as well. 
And I think that's going to do it for this week. But uh, till then, thanks for listening, and we will be back soon.